So what's going on, everyone? Thanks for joining. Um, I've got Issa here, and we're going to be talking about everything basketball, and we're also going to be talking about a lot of sports psychology stuff. So if anybody has any questions, you know, send them in. We'll answer them as best we can. Um, but yeah, there you go. Aoife, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Aoife Callahan. Um, I live in Belfast and I currently play for Ulster University women's basketball team. Um, I just finished my master's in sports psych uh, and I've done a bit of work with Hillary and with NABs um, kind of in their summer camps. So um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> um, I had a couple of requests for uh, for you to come on, so I really wanted to get you on anyway uh, to talk about this kind of stuff because I think only there's only a couple of people in basketball Ireland really that understand what sports psychology is or have even you know looked at that type of topic when it comes to their athletic performance or even their own mental health really. So I really wanted to get you on here to talk to people about it. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we'll get some questions going. Uh, let me try to get uh, the questions that I had up for you just to get a start. But as everybody knows, you can ask whatever questions you want and uh, we'll answer them as best as you can. So just type them into the question box. And we'll get going. So, Eve, actually, you're recovering from an injury right now, right? Yes, I am. How is that? How is Challenging. that going for you? Um, it's it is tough. Um, I actually had a Zoom meeting with my coach Pat last week. Um, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. So the question, the first question that I just got asked is the exact same question that I'm asking Oh, you. I was saying, I seen it. Can you talk about you the psychological aspect of post-injury rehab? Okay, good. Um, obviously, this is a question I can answer both from a psychological perspective and my own personal experience. Um, so I tore, I tore my ACL and I needed surgery to fix it. Um, but I always kind of, you know, everyone always asks me, you know, how mentally did you recover from it? And I'll be, I'll be honest, I was in England. Um, the year that I that I tore my ACL and I was recovering from rehab. Um, so for me, I always had that kind of thought of getting back on court. You know, that was every time I went to, to training or I went to physio or I was in the gym, it was always about getting back on court. Um, so it, was, it wasn't ever a thing for me to fall off the wagon. So I don't yeah. know if it was because of the environment I was in. You know, I was in a, a basketball academy. So every day you know we were just around basketball anyway so I was actually very fortunate not that anyone's fortunate to tear their ACL but I was just fortunate in that I was in England and I was in an academy that could fully rehab me and you know I had like two to three sessions a day with um with a physio um so they they were just kind of at our call you know we had we had strength and conditioning coaches we had normal coaches you know so we had everything we ever would have needed um I think if you were here and you know, the possibility of falling off the wagon would be a lot, a lot more prevalent. And um, I think it would be a lot tougher, especially, you know, what's going on now. If anyone is, I actually am rehabbing from an injury at the minute. I tore um, my ligaments, my ankle. Um, it is, it is a lot harder than when I did my, my ACL. And obviously I'm not, I'm not out for months. I'm only out for weeks. 
Um, but I think it's because there's no real direction at the minute. You know, everything's kind of all over the place. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it is just really important from a, from a psychological point of view. It's just very important to keep your goals in the forefront of your mind. Always have that light at the end of the tunnel. Um, always, always have something positive to look forward to. And I think that would be that would be the, the key things. And always remember that you're going to have setbacks and you're going to have times that it's going to be tough, but you just have to light at the end of the tunnel and just tunnel vision, keep focused on it. Yeah, that's for sure. I completely agree with that one. Um, like, I think, um, can you speak on a little bit what, because there's only a couple of people that have actually done the whole sports academy thing where you are, <clears throat> where you have a sports psychologist or a sports um, a physio, uh, you've got your coach with you almost every day of the week. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. your teammates with you almost every day of the week as well. There's only so many people that have actually experienced that. And the the whole translation from that to Irish basketball mm-hmm. is completely different. Can you mm-hmm. speak on like how different it was for you when you first went over there? Well, actually, one thing we didn't have, and I actually never even thought about this, is we didn't have a sports psychologist. Um, I went over there, was it 2014 maybe? It was when I, when I just finished school. I took mm-hmm. a year out and I went over there. Um, and we didn't have a sports psychologist. I think it was because maybe it's something that's only getting pre- kind of prevalent now. You know, it, it probably yeah. wasn't a, wasn't even a thing in 2014 really. Um, but it was definitely so intense from a basketball point of view. You know, you, you woke up, you were in gym every morning, first thing in the morning. You had a gym session, you had your breakfast, we went to class, we had a mid-morning, like whether it was be an individual session or a shooting session, you went to the rest of your classes, like you brought your dinner to the, the school or the college with you that day, yeah. you had your dinner there, you were on an on-court session, for me, like I maybe then had physio after, you had a gym session, you weren't getting home till 9 or 10 o'clock at night, you know this every day, so it was like 6am to, to 10pm every single day, but... Uh, like it was absolutely amazing, you know, just to be able to to dedicate that much time to just doing just doing what you love. So it was it was definitely intense. But if you love basketball, like that just doesn't matter. Yeah, if you if you have that passion for basketball and getting better, I think yeah. that's the perfect situation for you to be in when you've yeah. got so many people to help you get better. Whereas maybe when you're here, it's only you and your family or you, your family and your team, whatever it is. Yeah, so, it made me realize um like how much there was actually to improve on and to learn you know you always just thought like are you working your job and you're working your shooting you know but it was things like footwork and you know what foot to jump off and you know yeah. like just we small wee things that like you probably never were even taught here and you go mm-hmm. over there and it was like you learned what foot to put where and when it was like it was right down to that and that's what they taught you in the individuals so it was mm-hmm. it was insane like I, I wish I wasn't injured at the same sense you know that I actually could have came away oh, with a lot more from it yeah for but, sure you know yeah, yeah you, you still took a lot of learning from it anyway like the I'm sure you guys had video sessions you guys learned oh, yeah. a different a different insight of basketball that a lot of people don't get um but s- saying that I think this is this is there's a lot of the stuff that you can actually look up on Google oh yeah, look oh, up yeah, on YouTube. yeah. a lot of the kids uh in Ireland like a lot of the kids that I coach there's so many things that we do that um that help them get better but then there's like a small portion that they could do at home by themselves by going on google going on youtube to look up how to recover from an injury uh better how to strengthen your ankle mobility Mm -hmm. little things like that 
that yeah. you know that that adds such a big aspect to people's sports performance. Yeah, that's a, that's literally what I'm doing at the minute. Obviously, you can't we can't go to physio at the minute, and you can't get that hands on that we're used to. And it's kind of you show up, they tell you what to do, you do it, and you leave. But yeah. at the minute, you know you're very much in the driving seat, and I think that's with everything. You know, you don't have a coach. Um, you know, you might you might be lucky enough to kind of be able to go on Zoom chats with your your coaches and kind of do workouts through your phone, through your laptop, or whatever it may be. But the the athletes have to be in the in the driving seat right now. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, like Pat has been saying to me, ankle mobility stuff to do. I've like I've never hurt any of my ankles before. I'm very, very fortunate that I haven't. I haven't even sprained my ankle before. So to go from that to then turn ligaments, you know, I was like, how do I recover from this? I honestly hadn't because you've never done it before, you don't really know. Yeah. So um and I've got another question there. Glove Raheem's in on the questions. Yeah, he's always uh one of the questions. <laughs> so he said, What does the role of a sports psychologist working with a team involve? that's a good question um so i suppose it entirely depends on the team um different teams obviously will have different problems so whether it may be um a team actually might not even have any problems they're just using a sports psychologist to enhance what they already have um but for example if you have like problems with cohesion or you have problems with different personality types you have problems even with like the coach athlete relationship um, any anything to do with decision making or anything to do with basically with your with your brain, um, a psychologist can help. But the, the main things they would do in a team would kind of be like cohesion work, um, both within the team and then within the coaches coming in. Um, if they're not able to do that themselves, um, yeah, like different personality types is another big one. Um, learning different psychological skills, so like how to improve your confidence, how to set goals. Um, both individual and team a psychologist can help with that sort of work as well um, but just just anything that, that you feel could could do with a bit of work on um, a psychologist basically can come in and help with anything so it's very beneficial <laughs> yeah no it, it's definitely it's definitely a big thing I, I remember I had a season with uh, I'm not going to say the team but we were we weren't having a great season anyway so we were pulled into a meeting with the with the coach and all of the players and you know, there was a bit of mm, there was a bit of anger between the players. Anyway, we'll say that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the guy saying, "Oh yeah, we all have to be friends. We all have to be this, whatever." And I think at that stage, that's where we could have used the sports psychologist to 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 take that part of it out of it and mm-hmm. actually improve that and get rid of that. So we didn't have to think about that when we were playing basketball. We would have been able to change that part. <laughs> uh, Igor and Stephen Hines are laughing. I think they know what team. I think they know what team it was. Yeah, yeah. I think the the thing about like just going off that, um, you know, when you get older, you realize that your your team, you all don't have to be best friends. Um, mm-hmm. it, it takes a certain level of, of maturity to understand that. It absolutely helps, you know. And I'm I'm very fortunate on my team. Like we're all we're all extremely close. We all go out together. We all you know we party together. We we cry together. We laugh together. You know. We do everything together and we are very, yeah. very close friends. Um, but it you don't have to be, you know, and that's that's just the realistic element of it. Oh yeah, of course. I think even if you look at like <clears throat> really successful teams like in the NBA, professional teams like Shaq and Kobe didn't really like each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. They they won, what was it, three, three championships back to back? And they were the main two players that didn't like each other. But once you understand that 
the team has a goal and that goal is to win or that goal is to place a certain uh, point in the league, whatever it is, once everybody has that goal in mind, you can succeed that goal, but you don't have to be friends. Mm -hmm. You guys don't have to get along just as long as you have the same goal. Yeah, it's like, it's like the middle ground as well. So a psychologist will not only work on setting the goals, but how to set them. So kind of the stepping stones in between. So if you're mm -hmm. if you're crystal clear on those on those stepping stones in between, you know, then then you don't really have to rely on on those friendships and those kind of things to, to build you through. You can you can just get on with it. And it, like you said, it's about the end goal. Definitely. Definitely. I think we have some more questions. Yeah, we had a question from Ellie. <clears throat> she plays Liffey Celtics under okay. 16 or under 17, but she said oh, somehow, would Ellie. you would you recommend doing sports psychology in college? Wow. Okay. Well, maybe I'm going to be biased on this question, obviously, because yeah, I, I love too. it. But it's all—it's to do with your personal interests. If you are interested in sports psychology, then absolutely go for it. Um, mm -hmm. What I would say is, before I went to college, and no one kind of ever told me, was to do your your homework and do your research yeah. on on what colleges are out there, what's available. You know, scholarships are a big thing. What scholarships are out there as well? Um. But definitely look at what you want to do down the line, but also also look at all the different avenues that you can do it and just do your homework and make sure that you're, you know, you're making the right decision. And remember, even if you choose something and you don't like it, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. No, that's definitely a good point. Like, uh, you definitely need to do your research on what kind of courses are out there and what is actually involved in that course. Like, you, you can find a lot of people that have done courses mm -hmm. in Ireland that you can ask about. Uh, especially in the basketball world we're such a small community that everybody is willing to help you like if you reach out to somebody and ask them a question they're not going to leave you on scene or blank yeah. you. like they're going to reply and uh help you as much as they can so mm -hmm. i think you should definitely, yeah, definitely reach out and ask and no question is stupid or silly ask the smallest mm -hmm. question just ask everything you, you want to know yeah for sure uh, another question from Dave Doran. He said, would it be a good idea to have psychologists work with a younger team under 14-ish? Dave, I think that it would be a good idea for everybody, like no matter what age they are, to uh, to add that aspect to their game. Because you look at, <clears throat> you look at so many different uh, vocations. Uh, if I was talking about, about this to you yesterday in one of the questions, Mm -hmm. um, there's so many different vocations when it comes to sports performance that say you could speak to a nutritionist and they'll say nutrition is 30% of your athletic performance. You could speak to a strength and conditioning coach who say fitness is 30%. You could speak to a sports psychologist who say 30% as well. Um, so I think <clears throat> there's no, there's no equal equation for all of these things to be added in, but they're all of equal importance. If that makes sense, mm. I think I just doubled back on what I was saying there, but they definitely do have importance for any age, in my point of view, anyway. Yeah, I actually I've worked with under fourteen academy, um, before, and I think the important thing to remember at that age is it's very it's very much an introduction, um, mm. but the thing with these with these kids is that they are going to be doing sports psychology without even realizing it. You know, they'll be setting goals, they'll be using imagery, they'll be using breathing. You know. And they just don't know that that's psychology. So I think if you just introduce what sports psychology is to them and say like, oh, did you know goal setting is sports psychology? Majority of them say like, no, I didn't know that that was what that was. So when I worked with the under 14s, we did 
a lot of work on setting goals, setting efficient goals, and um, yeah. you know, using the smart principles for setting your goals, um, evaluating your goals, um, like small things like that. Under 14s can definitely do. There, there is a lot of stuff that would be, you know, further down the line. But it's like anything, you know, if if you can start playing basketball at that age, then you can da- you can start psychology straight away. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's for sure. That's definitely uh, what I would say on that too. Um, so, uh, yesterday we were talking about that question, um, about the different vocations and how they think that their vocation is worth this much in terms of athletic performance for you, like how important is sports psychology? I would think obviously I'll be biased again on this. (laughs) Um, it's a tough one because for me, I think the short answer is that I don't think there's anything that's more important than the other I don't think Mm -hmm. I can sit here and give a number on like oh well psych has to be 30 whatever percent you know because it's not it's not as subjective so I think it's very dependent on the player you know one person might need extra attention with their nutrition or with their sports psych um or even like me right now I would have to give extra attention to like my strength and conditioning because I'm injured I have to yeah. work on that side of my game before I can even, you know, step back on court and start worrying about everything else. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends on the person, you know. Another example is if you're someone who gets very nervous going into training sessions or games, you might need to spend that extra bit of attention working on your sports psychology and how to calm yourself down before you go into that game. Of course. Whereas if you're someone who just naturally steps out in place, then you you just don't have to, to pay that extra attention. And you're very lucky if that, if that is the case. Yeah. Um, but I think the other important thing is that all those elements are like parts of a machine. They all work together. They all yeah. work like a cog. If one doesn't work, the rest don't work. Um, yeah. I think they feed into each other. Um, so I think, you know, you can work on your nutrition, but it's also kind of working on your psychology as well because you're teaching yourself restraint. You're teaching yourself how to set a schedule, um, you know, with your eating and things like that. Um, I think the same with your strength and conditioning. It feeds into psychology. Your psychology can easily feed into your strength and conditioning, your analysis, physio, whatever it is, and right. it can all feed very easily in. Uh, the, the the focus of having like, yeah, this might be my uh, my weakness here, so I need to actually look at that and say to myself, oh yeah, okay, going into this game, I need to sit down for for twenty minutes or ten minutes or five minutes, whatever it is, and do a little bit of self reflection or imagery, because I think when I first found out about imagery when I was studying that helped me a lot uh, with my sports sports performance because I definitely I definitely used to get nervous uh, a lot more than I do now for, you know, every every game that I played, I would be nervous before I played it. But once I figured out what imagery was, um, and for those who don't understand, uh, imagery is basically being able to picture yourself in certain situations. And it's the same way if you're working out and you're going, okay, here, <clears throat> I'm going to go, one dribble right through the legs into a pull-up, picturing them that in your own mind over and over again, or picturing yourself into a situation where you're stuck in the corner with the ball, there's six seconds left, what are you going to do? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, That definitely helped me become a better player because when I got into those situations, into the court, on the court, I was able to just go, yeah, I've already lived through this in my mind. Like I know what I have to do, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to be nervous about it. Um, so I definitely think those aspects can be included. So I just got another question. 
we got two questions. Okay. So we'll go with James. That's my sister. <laughs> referee of the year. Yeah. Um, so Dave said, how important is belief in your ability to play? How do you balance believing you can play and being real- realistic about your ability? That's a good question. I'll let you go first. On okay, that so I think self-belief is, and I, I spoke about this in the camp last year, and um, when I did the, mm. the discussion, I said that self-belief is absolutely massive. Um, and I always kind of bring it back to you. If you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect your coach to believe in you and put you on the floor. Um, you, ha- you have to believe in yourself in the forefront. And that, yeah. that's, I always say that is absolutely major. Um, even if you're nervous, even if you think, God, I might mess this up, you know, always, you always have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where kind of different skills and techniques can come into play. Like the imagery, you know, getting yourself out of that situation, that's believing in yourself. Yeah. Um, a lot of players might, you know, close their eyes and go into that situation and turn the ball over. Um, that you know, that's where imagery can really help with that, with improving that self belief. I think yeah. the balance between believing in yourself and also being realistic is it is a tough one. But I think that's where the different elements of the sport come in. You know, you use like video and things like that. You watch your games back and you think, you know, you you, you know yourself basically what you can and what you can't do. You yeah. you have a good knowledge of that if you're you know if you're a good athlete and you've been playing the sport. But I think watching video back is a, is a huge thing for understanding the realism of what you're capable of. Um, yeah. Also improving on, on, on different things that you can do um, that will improve your, your self-belief. You know, think like, God, I got out of that tricky situation there, so actually I can do it next time. Um, it's another good method for believing in yourself. But I think the, the key for that balance between your self-belief and being realistic is to have someone there who's kind of that anchor you know so like for me personally it would be my coach to say like you know you're you're capable of this you're maybe not so capable of that and that's where where it takes a definite level of maturity that Mm -hmm. I personally don't think you know I I'm getting there but I don't think I have it yet but they you know it's that having that anchor there for someone to say you know this is what we can do with you this is what we can improve on this is the goal that we're going to aim for um and then it's your job to believe in those things that they're telling you to do yeah, no, that's definitely true. Like, um, I, I was having a conversation with, uh, Nabil recently just about, obviously, it's been highlighted with the climate that we're in at the moment with the whole lockdown situation. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, there's a lot of kids and a lot of, a lot of players really, but especially the kids that were, um, that had certain goals that they wanted to complete before the end of the season or yeah. by midsummer, by end summer that, may be pushed out or they may not uh, be able to complete now because of the situation we're in. And it's, it's come to a point where I'm thinking about the whole sports psychology part. That's, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on because I I fear that there's a lot of people that don't have that intrinsic motivation, that self-motivation or belief Mm -hmm. in themselves to, carry on because there's no there's obviously no end date on when this is going to finish or what it even really is at the moment but I think for myself on the first like two weeks I did struggle and I was like oh shit well what am I going to do now like what what is there um my goals I can't really complete my goals now because the season's over or uh what I wanted to do by this first week of summer isn't going to be able to get done now because of this um, but after that, I really just like, you know, had to believe in myself and think about everything and be like, 
it might not be the first week of summer where I get this goal complete, but there will be a point where we return to play basketball. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not working right now, I know for a fact that somebody else is, especially Puff, because I see his fucking, his Instagram stories, his Facebook videos, whatever it is, he's always working. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be somebody working and they have that self-motivation to do that. So yeah. I think you should be able to have that self-motivation as well. Yeah, I think it's important to be realistic in, in these times you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be angry and you're, you're going to be annoyed. That's the real, that's the realistic part of what's going on. Um, you're, you're almost in a grieving period because you like, you've lost something that you absolutely love. The, the season ended abruptly for everyone. And, you know, you go through that grieving process as normal. The, the main thing to remember is that that frustration, that anger is totally normal. Don't, you know, don't brush it aside, just feel it and move on. And that's it, exactly. you know, refocus, reset your goals don't push those negative feelings away. Um, and you that you have to have that intrinsic motivation. For people who don't know what intrinsic motivation is, basically it's the internal desire to do well. Um, yeah. And it is it is the key to being self-motivated. A lot of people will be motivated extrinsically, which basically means that you'll be going for like medals or praise or the fear of being shouted at. Um, but those things you can't rely on, they're, they're unpredictable. So you have to have that motivation from within. Um, and that that's absolutely massive, not just in these times, but for going forward, everyone has, they have to, you have to be motivated from within and you, cause it'll basically, it'll help you push yourself harder and it'll make you set yourself better goals. Definitely. I agree with that. Um, so we'll go back to your sister's question. We kind of skipped over a little bit. She said, what tips or strategies would you give to settle nerves prior to games or recover from errors in a game? Okay, it's a, a very real question, especially uh, being a ref as well. I'm pretty sure yeah. being shouted at doesn't, doesn't really help. Yeah, no, I think tips and strategies give the saddle nerves prior to games. Um, for me personally, I would use a lot of progressive muscle relaxation. So basically it's where you go from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and you just focus on each muscle group. You squeeze it for three seconds and you let it go. When you let it go, what I do is I picture nerves or fear as a, a ball of colour. So whatever colour it may be, it being red, blue, black, whatever colour it is, I picture it leaving my body and I close my eyes and I, I think that that's it leaving my body. It's just something that I have to visualise it. So it's just something that personally works for me. Um, the tips and strategies... You know, you could sit here and go through it all day. Yeah, um, the, yeah, the important thing to remember is that what one what works for you might not work for someone else. Exactly. So you have to trial and error things. Basically, you have to try it, you have to fail at it, and you have to try something else. Um, each person will be totally different. But I think the main thing that I, I kind of tell people as a psychologist to do is to not see nerves as a bad thing. See nerves as adrenaline and excitement. Yeah. And put it into that positivity. So just think, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. I'm pumped and I'm ready to go. And there automatically you've changed it into something that is, you know, potentially detrimental to your performance. You've just flipped it into something that will go out there and actually you can use it as adrenaline and use it as fuel when you go out there in the game. I think recovering from errors in a game, um, I think it's obvious not everyone's perfect. Not everyone's going to go out and perform whatever it be like refereeing or whether it be even in the gym or in a workout you're never going to get through and not make one mistake 
And if you are, it's too easy. Um, I think you mistakes, I don't call them mistakes or failures. I like to see them as learning opportunities. That's what I call them. Um, so they're not failures. They're opportunities to learn and get better from. Um, so if, again, don't look at it as an error or a failure. Look at it as an opportunity to learn. Think, right, God, if it was naive and, you know, in a, a referee and such, you're like, God, I blew, you know, I blew that a bit early. Then next time you kind of think like, right, I'm going to learn from the last time that I did it. Um, yeah. And it's the same in game. You know, if you took a shot too early, this, the next time you're going to think like, right, let's get a couple of extra passes or whatever it may be before you get the, the game up. So I think it's for, for that question, a lot of negative thought flipping would be, would be very positive and would be very helpful. Yeah, for sure. For for me, when I'm when I'm playing, uh, I had a coach that I had a coach in Italy who was big on sports psychology, mm-hmm. and he used to say, uh, "Once you, uh, he he always preached that all of his players should have a six second memory in terms of within the six seconds of you doing something, you should realize whether it was uh, a wrong decision at the time, a good decision at the time, uh, what you can do to learn from it, and what was the last one." how to move on from it and mm-hmm. to move on from it. So for me, I don't know, uh, for some of the people that see me play when I'm playing, I might do that. If I make, if I feel like I've made a mistake, that's my little reminder to get into my six second memory where I assess what I did, remember, uh, go through it and move past it. Um, so sure. I, uh, there's a couple of questions in here. There we got Brianna's the next one. Yeah. Okay, we can we can touch on that again. I think you kind of answered that. But Brianna said, "Do you think that psychology is important for return to play, and does it differ between players?" Yeah, Good question. Um, I think uh, it's obviously important because the whole time that you're injured, you're you're going to be in a mental battle with yourself, and you're going to be thinking about return to play. Will I return to play? Will I hurt myself again? I think the the main thought you have to have in your head is trust. You have to trust in not only your rehab and what you're doing, but you have to trust in yourself. You have to trust in your ability mm-hmm. um, to be mentally strong enough to come back and play. There are there are skills and techniques that you can use, but I think trust is, is the main thing. Um, it absolutely differs between players. You know, I know players who, like just using myself again as an example, who have not been able to come back from ACL tear injuries um, or who have really, really struggled with the thought of coming back on the floor. You know, it's yeah. almost like a task in itself going back to play. But for me, it was a reward. Um, you know, you, you finish your, your rehab program and your reward is being able to go and play again. It's not a task. It's not it's not something that you're trying to ask yourself of. It's it's your reward for completing your rehab. So you just have to go out and enjoy it. Definitely. No, that's definitely well. I've, <clears throat> I've known a couple of players who come back from ACL uh, injuries mm-hmm. and like the first session back when I see them playing, I'm like, are you even injured? Like they're just playing like yeah. they played before. And that means for me, that shows like they've done so much work, not only physically, but mentally for them to be able to come back and just be like, yeah, this is what I do. I'm going to keep doing it. This injury isn't going to hold me back. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We got a question from Niall. <laughs> he said, of course. <laughs> heard you were talking about nerves would you encourage people to go outside their comfort zone and take risks how risky should you get or on and off the court that's a subjective question. question yeah it is yeah um i you know i have said this already before but 
thing to remember, especially when you're talking about psychology, is that there is not a one-size-fits-all approach. So for one person, they might be able to go out, take all these risks, um, or in training, it probably would be, obviously wouldn't take many risks, but um, if you go out and take these risks and they pay off, fantastic. But obviously you're, you're looking at the, the not paying off more. Um, and what we talk about in psychology is an optimal zone of functioning. Right. So it, it's an inverted U, so it's kind of like this shape. So basically down here would be no risk takers, which means no no opportunity to fail, basically. If you're not taking risks, yeah. you're, you're not really at an opportunity to fail. When you kind of go up this this slope and you're taking more risks, obviously the opportunity to fail gets higher. Um, and you're yeah. working in this optimal zone where, where the, the level of risk is matched by the level of success or the level of failure, whatever it is you're measuring it by. But then there obviously will be a drop-off where you have too many risks or you're putting too much risk into it. And obviously the, the opportunities to fail then increase with it. So I think for each player, it's finding that optimal zone where you can take risks but not be detrimental to your performance to a certain extent. It's finding that zone and each each player has their own individual zone. Um, so it's understanding yourself as a player, understanding yourself mentally, what you can come back from as well. You know, a lot of people can't handle failure. Um, and if you if you can't handle that level of failure, then you, you probably shouldn't be, you know, taking those, those risks um, to that extent. And yeah. that you know that, that you're risking kind of that much failure, um, but I think to answer your question, each person's individual. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. And like on top of that as well, understanding your role on a team like <clears throat> is a, is a big thing because for me, uh, I, I've gone up and down in my career where I've played for a team where I'm uh, the <clears throat> I'm one of the the main options, then I've gone to a team where the team is full of pros and. I'm not the main option. My, my job is to play defense and pass the ball. And then I've gone to a team where I'm taking 15 to 20 shots a game. And that's what my coach wants me to do. So the whole nerves thing and make, taking risks is, is kind of is equated differently because your coach wants you to do that. So it's not mm-hmm. much of a risk. But now, now I'm playing on the team in Aina and we have... We have a point guard that played D1, uh, a small forward that has played, uh, played D1 as well, had trials for the Boston Celtics, had um, a shooting guard who's played at international levels, another pro, another pro. There's, our team is full of talent. So on that, for me, I'm not taking 15 shots a game. I know my job is to pass the ball on, play defense. If I get an open shot, I'm going to take it. And that's my risk in that like when I'm open or if I get an opportunity that I see an opening, I have the confidence to take, take that risk because for me, I know that I'm either going to get fouled or I'm getting the bucket. Mm-hmm. So yeah. those, those, those risks uh, are definitely uh, subjective to each individual. And then on top of that, obviously the roles on the team. Yeah. You just have the way you have to weigh out the benefit. Um, if the risk outweighs the benefit then it's probably not a good decision to make yeah sure Damn, we got some more questions okay um, so Martin O'Keefe said what's your view in language using talks etc uh, I had a team before and I avoided words like win uh, and used words like perform seem to do the trick it's a it's a, it's a, good... a great question mm-hmm. I think the use of language is very at the minute underused and underrated 
but I think it's it is very difficult for a coach, especially a, a seasoned coach, to change the way they speak without seeming rehearsed. Um, but I I do agree with swapping out some words. You know, I said I I don't like to use failure. I like to use learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know performing stuff. I think that is it's a it's a good word to use. But you have to make sure that you follow it through with what does performance mean because it may differ for each individual. You know, for one person, like you said, it might be going out and scoring whatever amount of points. Or for you, yeah. Hillary, individually, your idea of a performance is going to be totally different to someone else's on the team. So I think as, as long as you kind of contribute to each individual player and they know exactly what they're doing and they yeah. know what their goal is, they know what their end aim is, and then it's if they hit that aim, then yeah, they can they can use words like perform. But I I definitely I definitely do agree with with kind of switching out the way that language is used. Definitely. Oh yeah, that's that's for sure. <clears throat> there, there's a lot of coaches. So before I even say that, there's a lot of <laughs> um, there's a lot of different teaching and coaching styles. So I wouldn't disrespect a coach by saying their style is wrong or their style doesn't work because there's so many different coaches in the world that have developed a coaching style over the years that will talk to their players a certain way and certain players respond very, very well to an angry coach who's shouting at them in their face Mm -hmm. the whole time. They're going to wake up and do something on the court. Like I've heard Mm -hmm. some crazy things said by coaches and I've spoken to the player and they've been like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like Mm -hmm. I, I play better when he does that. But then I've spoken to other players who are like, yeah, he really put me down. I can't, like, I can't come back from that. Like, he's really hurting me with the way he's communicating to me. So that whole communication thing and language is another thing that has to be catered for each, each individual. Mm-hmm. It's tough uh, to do. It's very tough yeah, to do. It's very, it, it, take, it takes a lot of time. And I think that's another thing that uh, kind of hurts a lot of coaches. I know for me, I wish, like, I could speak to every player on my team and be like, yeah, how are you doing? Like, this is what I want you to do. Um, so on and so forth on a weekly basis, but you might only get to do that, uh, twice, twice a season, three times a Mm -hmm. season, whatever it is, because people have so many other things that they have to do. It's tough to, um, yeah, I think going, going off that language thing as well, in like an overall season perspective, it's good to use words like perform or whatever, but if you're in a, Say you're in a National Cup final, you can't avoid using the word win because there's one game, there's one, you know, it's it's a win or lose, and that's yeah. just the realist the realism of it. You know, you can't avoid using that the word in big games like that. But I think mm-hmm. I do think over over seasons, you know, um, that use that using those words is, is perfectly fine. Yeah. But again, like you said, it's beneficial for some people, it might not be for other people. If it works for your team, then absolutely keep doing it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, right, we got Erica Egan. Right, so she said, "How do you get positivity back as a team after you lose a few games in a row?" <laughs> that's, that's a, a that's a very good question because that definitely happened to to us this year, and I'm sure everybody at this point knows that uh, we we had a great start to the season, leading up to the national cup, had a couple of great wins, then we lost the game before the national cup, lost the national cup lost four or five games after that and we were just in a slump um, where it 
<clears throat> it wasn't even a thing that like the team just went and went down. It was a player by player, like it trickled down from everybody. Mm-hmm. So usually there's people on your team who are going to pick everybody back up. There's a joker on your team, same way there is in the classroom or whatever. There's somebody that's going to make jokes, have everyone laughing, somebody that's going to get everybody focused. And when each one of those people fall into that, um, that downward phase where they're, uh, they don't have that motivation or they go into a slump, it really just has to come to a, either a team meeting or one person to pick everybody back up. And that's what happened with us. It was one person that picked every back up, picked everybody back up and really just showed us that, you know, we've been doing this for the first half of the season. There's no reason why we can't do it for the second half. We're still the same talented players, probably better because we've been playing together for so long. Um, yeah. So I think, um, how do you get your positivity back as a team after these three games? It happened to us as well. We lost, um, we kind of lost an unexpected game. And then from then, we just went on a losing streak. It ha- it ha- you know, it happens to teams. Yeah. I think the way to, to get your positivity back is to stay realistic about the whole thing. Um, you're, you know, again, you're going to be annoyed and you're going to be frustrated at what's going on. That's normal. So don't, don't push it away. Mm-hmm. But I think figuring out the why is a huge element of, of how to get things back after going on a losing streak like that. And that, you know, like you, the way you did on your team, that takes communication. So you, you have to sit down, you have to figure out the why, why did things go wrong? Why are we here? Why are we setting these goals? You know, and I always say, know your why as a, yeah. as a self-motivator. So instead of having like outcome goals or whatever, always ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Why did we lose those games? Why, you know, are we not training the way we should be? Why are we not practicing as efficiently? Um, yeah. You know, and I, I always try and bring it back to why am I here? So I'm here because I love this game and I love playing. And, you know, every most people on the team will, ha- will have the same kind of intrinsic reasons. Um, and it's, it's the love for the game. It's the feeling that they have when they play. So I think if yeah. you go always bring it back to that and, you know, and it, it might be tough to do, especially midway through a season, but bring it right back to why you're there in the first place. And, you know, you're there to go out and you're there to play with your teammates. And it's, you know, it's the best feeling in the world. So to reward yourself by, you know, getting yourself back and going back out again. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. That's definitely, that's definitely a big thing, knowing why you're doing things. Um, I've had that question a couple of times. And it's changed for me over the years, obviously, because I've had different parts of my career. and People have asked me, why am I, why am I playing basketball? Or why am I doing this? Especially my parents, like they've never really been big fans of basketball. They're in the medical business and they always wanted me to be a doctor. So basketball was never uh, a thing for them. Mm. So I've changed my why over the years and I've had to have that reason to know why I'm doing this and what keeps pushing me on. So that definitely does apply um, to when your team goes on a losing streak, Erica. Hopefully that helps. Uh, I think the next question from Michelle is a fucking great question. She said, sorry, <laughs> I, I read this a few minutes ago and I was like, that's a great I question. I did read it. It's a great question. <laughs> Do you think when individuals are doing coaching awards, that psychology should be a major part of the course? Yes. That's my answer. Yeah. I think it should definitely be a major part of the course. 
um, because like I said when I was talking about the other vocations psychology feeds into everything so like a, like a player would sit and do sports psychology you know there are so many books and research papers out there that are literally just targeted at psychology for coaches the way you speak the language you use which we talked about different coaching styles your approach you know even down to what you were your body language like everything comes back to how your players are going to take you how other coaches are going to take you officials you know it goes right down the board psychology and even just stripping it back to as easy as the language that you use a lot of people will use a certain type of language because they just don't know that there are other languages and other words yeah. that they can use out there. So it's an, it is an education thing that they're just Definitely. not aware of. Um, I also think, you know, that kind of going back to that losing streak thing, a coach nine times out of 10 in those underage teams or those teams that kind of lacks that bit of seniority or bit of maturity, the coach will be the one to set those players down and say, you know, why are we feeling so negative? Why are we feeling so positive? And a coach has to have the answers, yeah. especially if it's kids who, you know, have a million questions. Yeah. A coach has to, have, has to have the answers or at least has to put themselves in a position to learn the answers. And I think that having that basic knowledge, it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be a degree in psychology. But I think mm-hmm. if they have a level of understanding on the psychology about even goal settings, you know, how to set effective goals. A lot of coaches will just say, this is our goal. We're going to, we're going to win National Cup. And there is no no in between there's no how are we going to sell it how are we going to achieve it what are we going to do if we don't achieve it you know there's and that that psychology and I think it literally feeds into everything so yeah it's I think it absolutely should be a part of coaching courses oh yeah definitely like there's I've done a couple of coaching courses over the years and <clears throat> the the one thing that's evident and that they preach a lot is that when you're coaching kids or coaching younger players uh, or whoever you're coaching you're going to have the you're 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 not only coaching somebody how to play basketball, you're subconsciously teaching them how to be a like a person in society. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these kids, they might see you two, three times a week. You don't know what situation they have back home. So you might actually be their main role model. So they take a lot from what you say and take a lot from the things that you do, uh, especially especially as players at a national league or a super league level, having so many kids watching us at a game or watching us perform, I always try to hold myself to a certain standard because I know, like the the re- for, firstly the reason why I play is for my teammates and for the supporters that I have, and that's that's the kids, uh, the moms and dads, the people that bring that come to the games to support us. I play for them, so I hold myself to a certain standard when I'm on the court. I'm not going to go crazy at everything that happens because I know if I start going crazy, there's a kid that's going to see me go crazy and they're going to think that's acceptable and then they're going to go do that um, for themselves. So I definitely think having that education of what sports psychology is and being a role model and so on is is a major thing and can help uh, I think a having having a knowledge on psychology, having a knowledge on anything, it will never be detrimental. It'll mm. only make you it'll only make you better. So I think you should have a, you should have a knowledge on as many things as you possibly can. Thanks. Sure. I think uh, so. Dave's question. Um. So legit question for underage team loses every game 
one season, but has the option to stay in the league. Players want to stay up. Do you stay up or go down to D2? I'm, I'm guessing that's a decision as a coach. I think, obviously, as a coach, you have to make the final decision, but you also have to have that discussion and understand why those kids are playing and having a team meeting to assess the previous season or assess where the girl, the girls or boys want to be is, is very important before you make that decision. So it's a, uh, that's a tough question, but I think definitely talking to the team and understanding what their goals are and outlining what your goals for the team are is definitely a major thing. Yeah. You got anything on that one? I think it's tough because for me, we, we in our team we have had this conversation. Mm. Um, you know, obviously when, when it's a good position to be in, but when when you're coming to kind of the top of the league and you're facing promotion, you know, we we did have to sit down and be kind of be as realistic as we possibly can. But I think as a coach, ultimately, it's hard because we were senior as well. But if it's an underage team, you know. I, I still would. I think I would listen. I would listen to the players. Yeah. I think I would. I would hold their opinions to a higher, higher opinion than anything else. Basically, I think they're the ones that are, that are training so hard, and they're the ones that are that are out there battling. Um, yeah. So I think I would. I'd be happy for the players to make the decision on that. If they if they were all in agreement and it was unanimous, um, I would be happy for for whatever they decide to do as a team. And it's, it's great teamwork that they were able to come together and, and decide on something like that and yeah, go through sense. all the options. And, you know, so I would be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's back. So we have MMCA. I don't know who that is, but uh, they said, how would you suggest for a coach to step back from the emotion of the game to focus on the wider picture of what is happening on the court? I think... <laughs> That's a. That's another. There's a lot of sort of questions there. Focus on a wider picture. What's happening on the court? Obviously, that's t- it's tough for anyone to remove emotion from a game. Um, I think it co- you can't just do it. I think it yeah. comes down to you have to practice and you have to put yourself in those positions. Even as a coach, you you have to train and you have to coach in practice the way that you coach in a game. So you, yeah. you have to put yourself in the best possible position that when it comes down to making those decisions that you're going to be in the best position to make those decisions and see what's happening on the court from a subjective point of view and think what can I do that's best for my team right now without putting emotion into it and that's the same as players as well you know you're thinking um, you, you just you try not to think with your heart you try and think with your head as best yeah. as you can yeah no, and prepare uh-huh. yourself as much as you can to make those decisions yeah, and that's all you sure. that's all you can do as a coach and as a player yeah, I think. And don't uh, expect perfection. That, yeah, you can't expect perfection. You're just you're going to drive yourself insane. Um, I think on top of that, like your your personnel is a is a major contributor to that because um, if you have a good assistant coach who understands who understands you, but also understands your players, they can have that view you necessarily don't have to have that view yourself if you have somebody on the team uh, a captain or uh, assistant coach who can understand that okay look they're handling the emotional side of what's happening on the court they're handling the actual like okay on the court this just happened like 
yeah, <clears throat> that's our that's our best player right there. But they're not giving us what we need. We have somebody else who can give that that person who's able to look at a different aspect of the game is so crucial. Um, and even even when you're when when a player is being subbed off, you know, like there's so many players that get subbed off and they're emotional or don't understand why they've been subbed off. Mm-hmm. I think an assistant coach you can go, hey, look, good job out there, but on the last two plays you let your man go back door or you took a bad shot. Well, I need you to understand that that was a bad shot. So when you go back on, you're going to go back on. I need you to re reevaluate that and do something different. So uh, for, for, for me, I think uh, personnel is definitely a big thing. Uh, Dave, I think you've already answered your question. How much input do you How much give? Input? I mean, no, that's, I'm assuming, Dave, that you disagree with their decision. Otherwise... It would be it would be this discussion. Um, I think if you disagree with what, what what they're telling you to do about promotion relegation, I think you obviously have the meeting. You sit them down. You walk them through your why why you think they should or shouldn't go up. Um, make them understand your point of view. Go through all the different aspects of it. Um, and get their view on each one of them. And if they've made an educated decision and they're able to answer for all of those different points of input, then Mm-hmm. I don't see the problem. Yeah, I think uh, Dave's question was definitely important. Yes, that's um, a real life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's my friend so, Kyla. Hi, Kyla. <laughs> Kyla plays for yeah. Pitt right now, so give Kyla a shout out. <laughs> oh, shit! What's up? Um, oh, Max is going to Pitt. Sorry, uh, a kid from Dublin Lions. He's actually he's signed. For Pitt, a couple of months ago. I so I met I met Kyla when I was in England at the academy. She was on my oh, team. Oh, cool! Oh, nice. Basketball takes you everywhere. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Farouk, with another question: Is the concept of home fans' advantage a real one? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think it is. Like that's facts. I think for anybody who's played. Um, and a, yeah, well, I was going to say that. If you've played in Tali, from the moment you walk into that gym, while you're warming up, like 45 minutes before the game, the stands are full of their, of their supporters and they're watching you and they're shouting, they're cheering for two hours straight. Mm-hmm. They're at your throat the whole time. And that's a, that's a big thing for them. And I think even for, even for our team, when we are at home, the, the kind of reception that we received from all of our supporters was amazing. And then when we played for Lee in the semifinal down in Cork, like the support that we had from everybody really lifted us to go to a higher level. And it, it, that, that's our reason to play. That's why we're out there doing that every every Saturday night. That's why we're training every Tuesday, Thursday, whatever it is. So that home team advantage or that supporters advantage when they're there, it just makes things a big uh, it just makes things a lot a lot better for you to play. It makes mm-hmm. a better environment for you to play. Yeah, I think the problem with it as well is that you can't really you can't really train for it. Mm-hmm. Um you know you can make noise and you can have you can have your coach do different things but you can't, you can't ever train yourself for how you're going to feel walking into a gym the stadium being full and they'll be cheering against you and yeah. it's it's something that yeah you're used to but you're you're never really 
okay with it you know it's it's always it would always be something that would throw you off as an athlete um maybe some maybe some people would disagree and say you know that they live they live for the hype or whatever but again it's it's the individual but i definitely think the concept is a real one yeah no definitely i know that there's there's research on it as well freak if you want a good read on it there is research on home court advantage yeah um if you if you have anything send it on and i'll put it on the story and let you know um so i think this is going to be our last question because i actually have to coach in a couple of minutes but um so adam o'reilly he's my old teammate from lions probably one of the most fundamental like encouraging people that i've ever played with he said some of my least favorite games to play are against uh, are games against low-ranked teams when you are expected to win what are the best ways to keep a team focused so they don't drop in their performance that's yeah. That's a good question. I think it's it's tough. And again, I'm going to bring it back to you have to be realistic. You can't expect them to play the same way that they will play against a really tough team because it you know nine times out of ten it's just not going to happen. And I know that's that's the the ultimate um, goal. Sorry, I'm just looking up to the question. That that is the ultimate goal. I think. And you know, we obviously every basketball player will be in those situations. I think those are the games. That me personally, when I go out and play in, I like to just enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. I like to, to go back to my why, which is the I like to play basketball because I love it and it's fun. Um, yeah. A lot of players, especially when you're up against tough teams, constantly, constantly, you might lose by one, you might lose by two, and you might you might go on a losing streak, whatever it may be. That you know, look at it as it is an opportunity to have fun. However, I think the best ways to keep the team performance in those games are to set goals. And, yeah. you know, push those goals a bit further than you would normally. So, of a player, you know, who might never normally score. One I kind of do with, under, with my under-16 guards is, like, everyone gets on the score sheet. And mm-hmm. that, as a team, as a, you know, point guards, as leaders, whoever that may be, that's their goal to get that player in that position. Everyone goes on the score sheet. Um, you know, we're going to make whatever amount of passes. Um, so, you call it a play and you, you call it the amount of passes. That's the amount of passes that you make. So I think yeah. you just you rejiggle your goals, um, and as a coach, it so might be a bit more work um, in game because you're like, right, everyone scored in the first quarter. What do we do now? But it's like you just yeah. rejiggle. Got no idea what happened there. Um, I think Instagram has a limit on my on my live videos. You get Eva back in here. Where you at? There you are. Uh, yeah, I don't know yeah. what happened there. I think uh, Instagram was hating on our lives. But I disagreed with something I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. You wanna you wanna finish up on what you were saying? Yeah, just okay. uh, just to rejig basically rejig the goals in in game. I think is is the main way to keep to keep everyone's performance to the standard that you would expect it to be at. Yeah. And let, maybe let the maybe let the players be in control of the goals that they set. You know, get them thinking about how we're going to set goals, and it also gives them an idea of how hard it is to coach. So it might yeah. you know give those players a chance to show some empathy towards their coach because a lot of people will be like, you know, they didn't play me and they didn't do this, they didn't do that, and it's it's easy to sit and judge a coach when it's like that, but it gives them an opportunity to take away a look in to see how hard it is to make those decisions in games yeah definitely like uh, I was uh, I was coaching 
I've coached a couple of teams in my career or whatever, and especially at underage basketball, there's certain roles that you can't, you, you can only play uh, one five in the first quarter, a different five in the second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like each player has to have a full quarter, those kind of things. So when you're playing a weaker team that you, you know your team is going to, is going to, is going to beat, having those little little goals where you say okay look this quarter i want i want i want 20 rebounds or i want 30 rebounds or every time we go up the court if it's not a fast break i want you guys to set up into our offense i want mm-hmm. you to run a play i want you to do certain things i think um that is really important when you're coming up against a team that you're you you're you're bound to beat um and when it comes down to a senior level like we, we, we had this last year with Aina when we were in the National League. Um, our team was pretty solid. We had Gali, who's damn near seven foot, and uh, he's, he's a task to move out of the key. We had Steph, we had a couple of other guys, Josh as well, Royce. Um, we had a lot of talent on our team, so when we were coming up against certain teams, we knew that we were going to beat them, but the, our why was a big thing for us because, you know, Darren, as our coach, there's only so much he can say to go, you guys are here to win this game. Go win the game. Don't yeah. go out there and be idiots. It, it comes down to uh, yourself as a player and as a team to be like, yeah, we're not going to let a team uh, embarrass us. No matter, no matter what ranking they are for me, when I'm on the court, I might be friends. I'm, close friends with so many people in the league, mm. especially the guys from Lions because I've played with them for so long. When I see them on the court, our friendship is out the window. I'll see you at the end of the game or after the game where we shake hands and say, what's up? How are you, man? Good to see you again. But for the 40 minutes or whatever it is that we're on the court, you're my worst enemy. And I'm like, my goal is to win the game. So I'm not going to let you get in the way of that. You hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, oh, okay. that all makes sense. That all makes sense. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I think that is the end of our live. So Aoife, thank you so much for joining in. Um, for anybody who's in here, give Aoife a follow. Uh, I'm sure she'll be happy enough to answer questions. I hope you don't get bombarded with questions now. <laughs> but um yeah, give Aoife a follow. Have a look at some sports psychology research. There's a lot of courses that you can even do for like a month or two months that mm. just give you an introduction into sports psychology. Um, so look into stuff like that. Now's a good time to read on it, obviously, because there's not much else going on. Exactly. That's for sure. Okay. Right. So um, appreciate you for joining in. Thanks to everybody for asking some questions. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Eva. See you there. Bye.